In 2008, Kevin Kelly did an article titled 1,000 True Fans. And in it, he argued that anyone could make a living doing what they love most doing if they simply had 1,000 true fans. True fan being somebody who is so engaged and resonates so much with what it is that you do that they'll be the ones who buy your products and services, consume all of your content. They're they're just diehard fans, and they want to continue to support the work that you do because it's so valuable to them. That's a true fan. And Kevin Kelly says that you could make a living, not just a living, but you can make a great living with only 1,000 true fans. Now, I've seen this countless times in my years of helping people through online business, and it is true. But I would even go so far as to argue that one could make an incredible living with only 100 true fans. And I even had made the argument in the past, and I've since seen it as a reality, you could actually make an incredible living with 10 true fans. And what I hope to do with this podcast is to show you with, starting with episode 33, and probably going all the way till episode 43, I'm gonna share with you 10 episodes 10 conversations with true fans who have been a part of my community where if these were the only 10 people I ever worked with, I could make a great living just working with them. However, the cool thing is is that you don't have to stop after you have 10 true fans. But you know what? You start with having one. And that's always been my approach. One of the things that I hope to do in these conversations is to share with you just how deep you can go in a meaningful relationship where you add so much value to someone's life. And in return, imagine not only are you getting paid incredibly well to do what you most feel called to do in this world, but you truly are receiving value back from knowing that person and the impact and influence they have on your life. That's what these conversations will uncover for you, I hope, and I am excited to share with you today an interview with my great friend, Rick Lindbergh. Now, Rick and I go way back. He first signed up for my four-week podcasting A to Z course back in September 2014. Not too long after that, just a couple sessions later in August 2015, he took the course a second time. Now, the interesting thing was the course was designed to help you learn how to launch a podcast, which he successfully did at the end of that first time going through podcasting A to Z. But then he came through a second time, and I'm like, why is he coming through the course? I mean, he still has access to all of the training tutorials that are the main thrust of this course. He he could just, if he wants to launch another podcast, he could just go through everything he's already got access to. And when I reached out to him, I said, what's the deal here? And he says, Cliff, I just... I really loved having you as my coach for four weeks, and I'd like to have that again. And that got the wheels turning, and of course, you'll hear a little bit more about that in the conversation ahead. Also, I want to let you know that when November 2017 came around, and I officially launched the Next Level Mastermind, Rick Lindbergh was the very first person ever on November 1st, 2017 to sign up for the Next Level Mastermind AM group. And Rick has been a weekly member of the Next Level Mastermind group for three years and nine months now. And I am incredibly 
blown away by just how much value has been added to each of our lives because of our opportunity to journey through life together through these experiences. So without any further ado, here's this episode of The Community Voice, episode number 34, featuring my great friend from Stockholm, Sweden, Rick Lindbergh. Rick, I am delighted to have you on The Community Voice. How are you today? Awesome. I just put my daughter to sleep or to bed, so I'm showing up enjoying this conversation. I know I always enjoy talking to you. Well, I always enjoy talking with you as well. It is 3.26 p.m. here. You're in Stockholm, Sweden. Well, actually, I think you're outside of Stockholm now, but um, just outside of Stockholm. Is that accurate? Well, it's still in the Stockholm city, but not as central as when we started to know each other. Gotcha. And I would imagine it's probably 9th, 26 p.m. there? Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. So I just read to my daughter and yeah, I'm in a great mood. (laughs) You know, Rick, most of the time I've met that I've known you, you've been in a pretty great mood. I mean, not all, I mean, we all have our moments, but I mean, you, you seem to be that guy that seems to be pretty even balanced when it comes to times that I've talked with you. Thank you. I, I think a lot of people tell that I'm annoyingly happy. So I don't know if I'm evenly balanced, but I'm grateful for the mood I'm usually having. Yeah. Are all people in Sweden as, as pleasant as you? Um, I don't think I'm an ordinary Swede. And I think when I was younger, that made me feel weird. So no. Were you born in Sweden? Yeah, I was. Or I've been living most of my life in Sweden. Gotcha. So my, gosh, so many directions that we can go. When did you start getting involved into the world of technology? Um, very, very young. I kind of hid behind computers when I was a kid. So first I hid behind books and then I, I don't know how young I was, but when I started playing games on the computer, I don't know, 10 or something like that. So what kind of books were you into before computers? Um, sci-fi and fantasy, but... Back then, that wasn't the thing. That wasn't the genre. I know you're recently diving deep into Tolkien and stuff like that, and that was kind of the door opener for me. But so, again, when I was young, that wasn't a genre. It was rare to find books like that. So did you read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit when you were a kid? I remember reading Hobbit number one before I could really properly read. And I remember, not to spoil anything, but uh, I learned to read while reading that book to myself. And when the story turned sad, I remember crying so much, so my mother had to help me read because I wanted to finish the story, but I couldn't because I was crying so much. Oh, really? Wow. So The Hobbit was a, a, a pretty pivotal book for you then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, or again, I l- kind of like the, the shiny knights doing the right thing. 
the easy black and white choices. Um, life is complicated, but I really then appreciated going into the sci-fi or the fantasy world where you had clear roles and clear duties and responsibilities and stuff like that. So you started with The Hobbit. Did you read the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy as well? I do, yeah, I did. I don't remember actually when I read them, but I've read them all and I enjoy the movies too. Wonderful. And a lot of the surrounding lore, if that makes sense. Yeah, so the Simorillion and... Yeah. Uh, what Baron and Luthien and all of that stuff? I have probably read them all, but it was probably 30 years ago. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I'm just learning about some of the lore behind it, and, and I'm fascinated. I want to become a true fan. I'm sure you've seen my Lord of the Rings fan podcast that I launched. Yeah, and I, and I that's one of the things I love with you, that you really go deep into the rabbit hole. Yeah. If, if that is ABBA, if that is uh, the lost movie, whatever it is, it's you're, you're curious and you follow that deep. And I love that. I am, if there, you know, I have no regrets in this world. But if I were a person who had regrets, one of the regrets I would carry is the fact that I was not in the mindset of creating lots of content when I went down my ABBA rabbit trail. I I really went deep down that hole. Yeah, and, and it's so wonderful the world we're living in right now that, that we can capture so much for future generations. If we look back at our parents and their generation before that, teaching and sharing our perception of reality was hard. But now, as we learn, we can really teach and share at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think that's the power of books that I've come to really appreciate later in life because the the rabbit hole that I went down was all book form. It was the the book that was the biography written not just of any one member, but it was all four members plus Stieg Anderson, who was the producer. So it was basically five biographies written into one book that told the entire, and I think it was, I, I, I might be exaggerating, but I think it was like 60 hours worth of audiobook. And is, does that sound, yeah, I think, is, is that right? Hold on. Yeah, uh, I, I have no idea about the metrics, it, but 60 hours, probably, there's a ton of materials out there. It, I, I'm, uh, I'm and I remember we used to talk about it when you were devouring it. But what I mean is your perception of reading those biographies will be forever, or could have been forever captured for your generations to come. Uh, likewise, with a biography in itself, it's just a perception of reality. You might have two siblings writing their own biography about something that happened, but from different worldviews. Yes. And few people make time to write a book because it's a lot of effort goes into it. But uh, now that you capture things on the mobile and into podcast form or other forms, it's so easy to save it. So, And then you go back and you realize, oh, was it that hard? Was it that easy? Was it whatever it was? You can go back and then you can reevaluate. Re so you just said something. You said that when you read a biography, you're not necessarily getting the you're getting a per, somebody's perception of reality. Yeah, exactly. 
And what if what if I were to write an autobiography? And I I wonder if I wouldn't still be if you were to read my autobiography of let's just say my story over the last uh, twenty five years since I've known Stephanie. And I wonder if you wouldn't just if you read my autobiography account. Isn't that still just a perception of reality? It it just yeah, happens. Exactly. It's it because one of the things that I've learned I've grown as I've getting close to 50 years old now, I realize just how much I get into nostalgia. You know, that's that's why I went down the ABBA rabbit trail because I remember ABBA was the very first cassette tape I ever owned. And I listened to that thing more times than probably could ever be counted. And, and so it was the nostalgia for that time. And that happened to be something when I actually went and bought the original ABBA tape that, that I, I, I went and <laughs> that got you're holding up right now. Yeah, I'm holding it. It's amazing it that you had it so close. Oh, yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, I'm t- when I go into something, I'm passionate about it. So it, it's right here. I even went out and bought a, a Walkman so I could play it. But the Walkman was trash because of the, the, the yeah. rubber band or whatever, the drive. But anyway, so I, but this was one where I had nostalgia where it's like, yeah, this was really good. But there were so many things I didn't know then. It was, it was exciting to read about it. But there's so many things that as I, as I, as an adult, I'm like, oh, I want to relive that. I want to, I want to relive that, whether it's going back and eating a zero candy bar, which is a certain brand of candy bar here in the United States. And I'm like, oh, wow, that, that is not as good as I remember it being. Yeah. Or there's video games. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't. I'm so excited that Atari has made all of these classic Atari games available for the iOS. This is great. And I'm like, oh, those games are not anywhere like what I remember them being. It's like, so sometimes my my perception of my past, I've glorified certain experiences. Uh, to to where may, maybe my my perception of reality was quite limited then, and I'm like, oh well, this was obviously great. Um, I think it's a bit of both. I think that we nostalgia does glorify that we we tint the the highlights uh, uh, unaware, not intentionally. Um, but also going back to the game that you mentioned when you looked at the Atari games you were perhaps anticipating the best graphic ever of that generation. So you're going into it, this is so good looking, this is so fast or whatever it was. And now when you're going back, you're comparing it to technology today, which is unfair. So you can ruin your own memory like that. Suddenly, what you used to be proud of, of owning or winning against or whatever it was, when you're comparing it to the mechanics of today, it's unfair to that memory, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's so some things we shouldn't really, you know, be too picky with, but I also think that memories can serve us wrong. I, I love discussing, I have a lot of childhood friends, and we discuss specific events and realize we believe very strongly from our viewpoints and then we look up at, say, a camera or, or a, uh, fo- um, a movie from that age, and we realize we were all wrong. <laughs> but because we cherry-picked some things that we really liked about the event, and then we kept reinforcing that until we believed that was the truth. 
and going back to the media we have today, we can learn, we can go back. Oh, that's what really happens. That makes sense now. Why I think the way I think, why this behaves the way it behaves. But the opposite, we're also living in a world of disinformation. A lot of people love the internet and we're living in an age of information, but I really think we're living in an age of disinformation. We just don't see that because we see so much information, it's really hard to know what can we trust. And that includes our own memories. Yeah, there, there are definitely times like in my childhood, I have had an, an event and I'm like, oh man, let me tell you this story about my experience. And over time, I might have embellished a detail here yeah. or there. But man, you, you go you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, you forget what was the original experience versus my embellishments of it. And, and yeah. it's like, oh, well, gosh, I don't even remember what was actually true. It's like so much of it I've blown out of proportion. Yeah, and I, again, if we're talking, let's say we're recounting a fishing story and, you know, the, the size of the fish grows yes. that they're telling, uh, that might not be a bad thing. If you and I are, don't really care, we're not competing, we're just enjoying the moment and talking about it, the nostalgia, that's good, that's good enough. But if, if, if we're really making a decision, I'm going to invest my life into fishing, I'm going to be a fishing teacher and go to that special place that was awesome when I was a kid. Yeah, we're doing ourselves a disfavor. Yeah. So completely off topic, but still slightly connected to that topic. Sometimes I wonder if my nostalgia is let down just because I don't have the original devices. Like, for example, it, there, it, for me, it wasn't necessarily comparing like today's graphics to the things, but there, there's a part of me that a part of my enjoyment of the Atari 2600 was sitting down on a thick pile carpet on my knees holding an Atari yeah. plastic joystick like this and actually looking at a CRT television. Whereas today, it you know, oftentimes it's like, well, this is an emulated thing and the you know it was never meant for a touch screen device and it certainly wasn't made for a retina display and and all of those things it's like sometimes i was just like man it wouldn't it be cool if you could do what they did in star trek the next generation have like a hollow deck where you go in and it's and it literally creates that environment it's like your childhood rca wooden television with the actual joystick and stuff like that i think it's like okay maybe then i might be able to get that feel of when i was a kid yeah and and i i think that's dangerous to, to to want that feeling again, to capture that feeling in, because I don't think we can. Even if the, you were to, say, go to um, a recreation where I, I, I used to own a Commodore 64, for example, for a long time, now I have positioned myself so I can play at any time, at any length I want. Back when you, you and I were playing at the Atari, we were rental movies at you know stores on these movie boxes. At least we did here, here in Sweden. So it was a treat. Being able to do these things were a treat. And um, even if you were to grab a joystick, grab grab the game, and do it again, it's it's not 
rare in the same regard as it was back then. So I think it's really, really hard to capture that old feeling. I think it's better to let it be nostalgia and enjoy it for, for know, what it was. Let it be exactly. Yeah, because I I actually have a arcade one up um, stand up arcade machine that has Pac Man and Dig Dug and it's got Galaga, one of my favorites. Yeah, and so I have it here, and I will tell you that it's it's pretty good recreation of the game. But do you know what it's missing? It's missing the coin operation, the fact that yeah. it's like it's costing me money. And yeah. so I, I'm like, man, I remember when I was a kid, it's like I, you start off with with two ships in, in, in queue, but you so you actually have three total men and you keep playing and playing and playing. But man, that thing just cost you a quarter. And it's like, I might be down to my last guy, but I am fighting for my life because I'm going to get the most out of this quarter. And I find myself because it was like, oh oh man, it's like, I want to get to level 35 because I know I can do it. I used to do it all the time when I was a kid, but I rarely ever get to level 35 because I know it's like, oh man, I just lost my first life on board two. And I know that I could actually make it all the way to board nine without losing my first life. And so I lose my first life on board two and I restart the game again and I restart the game again. Yeah. There's no cost to it. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's exactly what I mean, that the context around it, the game might be the same, but the context around it has changed. So it's not the same. But it's also by trying to grab it harder, it vanishes. I remember when I was, again, a kid playing a lot of games and I was quite early on talking to people while playing games together, multiplaying on, in Sweden, we used to call that zero modems, but when you're plugging computers together before internet or coaxial cable and stuff like that. Uh, and we used to talk about this thing, me and my friends, that you were playing and you were chatting and, and just enjoying the social company of each other. And then now I'm really, really far ahead. You need to stop talking to me so I can focus because I'm going to beat the game. And then, you know, the, the happy flow vanishes and suddenly you're too focused and you lose. We saw that happen again and again. And I think, again, it's why you're playing what do you want to get out of it changes because you were relaxed you were having a good time you were just playing because you were talking and thus so relaxed so you were beating the game and then suddenly you were making it more real and more important to win so you're asking people to back off i want to focus and then it didn't work as good so I, i think it's so interesting that We'll easily look at the tool. I want to use your joystick because I want to be as good as you when it's about the practice and your posture in that practice. Yeah. You mentioned you had a Commodore 64. What did you do with your Commodore 64 when you had it? Oh, yeah. I had an, I had an Atari and then I have a Vic. In, in Sweden, we used to call them Vic. 20? But they were Comm- Commodore 20. 20? Yeah, I had a Commodore. My first computer was a Commodore VIC-20. Yeah, I think that that's where I started. And then I kind of leveled through 64 and then Amiga and then PC. But uh, for years, I just played games. I didn't have a clue how to do more. And then I re- started to re- buy 
computer magazines and hand copying, you know, programming code. code and then typing in it, still having no clue what I was doing wrong when it didn't work, as the article suggested. Uh, so I learned to program them and build them. And then when you buy an Amiga or a Commodore, you're basically buying a, a, a fixed thing. But when I was moving to Intel or to PC, I couldn't afford it. So then I need, needed to learn how to build my own stuff so I could play games. I was still very game oriented. Yeah. And, and learn basically everything that made me very successful in computers later in life because I wanted to be able to afford to play the game I wanted to play. Well, I, I learned, I'd actually taught myself how to program basic from the owner's manual of yeah, the cool. VIC-20 so that I could actually play. I created a piano program on it and all sorts of other stuff. But did you have any cartridge games for your Commodore VIC-20? Um, I don't remember. I think I was using tape. Yeah, they But I don't remember cartridge. I remember cartridge hacks that you plugged in to hack your games and stuff like that. Once again, I was tweaking, but I wasn't really programming back then. Yeah, they they actually, that was, the Commodore VIC-20 had a cassette player and recorder that you would yeah. actually load and, and record so, programs onto it, which was cool. But they also had a cartridge back in the back, so it was like a cartridge game player too. And I just remember there was this one game on the Commodore VIC-20 that I used to play all the time. It was called Gorf. G I think it's G-O-R-F. And it was like a Space Invaders kind of game. Cool. I'll have to look that up as we talk. Yeah, I bet you there's some Gorf emulators out there or something like that at this point. So, yeah. okay. Yeah, I recognize the logo, yeah. Do you see it? 81. Yeah, that was a time ago. Yeah, yeah, that was that was probably the one. That was it. So, let me ask you this, Rick. In Sweden, when you were a kid, was Sweden? Did you feel like like your part of the world, like like this is the center of the world? Did you have that feeling, like man, like everybody's experience must be like what I'm experiencing here in my country, or in my hometown? Um. When I was starting with uh, computers or games, but that's basically what it was, um, I don't think I thought so much about it. I was young and naive. Um, when, I, when I was growing up older, and especially when I wanted to learn programming and stuff like that, I realized that Sweden is a very small place. It was really hard to get, for example, uh, learn learn computer stuff in Sweden. It was really hard. It was took ages to get you 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 were reading books to learn, which is you getting analog knowledge to, to figure out the digital was very again pre internet. And um yeah, Sweden felt very far off. Likewise when I realized that fantasy was a thing, it was really hard to get fantasy books in Sweden. And again, learning, I had to learn English so I could read my books because they were never translated. But that was kind of later when I turned like teenage-ish. 
Yeah, I, the reason why I bring that up is because I remember the the internet, or well, the even before the internet, BBSs, even yeah, bulletin board services. When computers came along, and we had the ability to start connecting them together through telephones and modems and stuff like that, and especially America, once America Online came on, that was like America Online 1.0 for me yeah. was an eye-opening experience. Actually, no, it's my very first ever email. My first ever written email was the eye-opener because I actually put it out and I said, hey, this is my first ever uh, internet electronic commu- um, electronic mail communication is what I my subject line was. Is anybody reading this? And then all of a sudden, I remember being totally freaked out that people all over the world were responding to my email, and I'm like, wait a second. I, I and I, I, do you remember Net Microsoft Net Meeting? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to say something that I still find slightly embarrassing. So this is about 1996, 1997. It's probably 96. Microsoft Net Meeting. It's the first time I'm doing voice chat with people around the world. I've done lots of text chat, but I'm doing voice chat. And it was kind of like you would just randomly get people into these rooms and and stuff. And I'll never forget hearing my first person from Australia with an Australian accent. And Rick, I'm like blown away. It's like, wait a second. I... how are you calling me with a computer? You don't have, how do you have the internet? And I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking, my idea of Australia is Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. I am not kidding you. I literally know nothing. It's like, you guys have cities? You guys have, well, you have skyscraper? And, and I must, it's like, I can't even imagine how naive these people thought I was. But I was, I was totally naive. It's like, my picture of of Australia was that, you know, outback, you know, aborigine kind of tribal people. And I'm like, what the heck? And I, I, I all of a sudden, my world shrunk so much because of the internet and the connectiveness of all this stuff. Yeah, totally. And again, I think... Sweden was a small place. I remember books was really, really hard to get hold of. So I turned to Deja News. Do you not remember that? And I think I was running mTalk, a voice chat on uh, 1994, because that was a better place to learn from. Um, And way before podcasting was a thing, I remember getting knowledge via BBSs and so many things and i will always consider myself lucky to have lots of cyber hangout groups where we now we're on discord gamers but there's always been so many voice over ip clients that you can find like-minded people with in gaming communities in hacker communities in any kind of hungry to learn community to do voiceover with uh, and uh, the games has really pushed how we can communicate because it latency is important in a game. And yeah. 
I just, I, I still, it blows me away just because of where I came from in the world, you know, my world before computers. And to sit here and think that I'm having a real-time, almost zero latency video HD Zoom audio video call with Rick from Stockholm, Sweden. It's like sometimes I, I still to this day do not take this for granted, this this amazing yeah. technology. It's like what a gift. Yeah, and the ease of doing it and, and, and going back to my then, yeah, I was playing games uh, with uh, strangers online quite early, but you and I, we can reach out at any time and talk. It's so easy. I remember having to go from running Roger Wilco with this batch group, TeamSpeak with this batch group, Mumble and Battlecom with those. It was so fragmented depending on the group and the game I wanted to play with. And WebRTC, do you remember IRC chats? There's so many. Once again, you, you had to use the tool for that specific group. Now, it's a lot easier with Zoom, Microsoft Teams. It's uh, so many things that most people have, so it's so easy to connect to anyone. Would you believe that IRC chat is one technology I have never bothered to learn? Does that surprise you at all? Uh, it was a long time ago, but yeah, it does. I kind of imagine you're a bit nerd geeking out and stuff like that. And I remember you taught me a web-based chat that my girlfriend used to hang with. I don't remember what the name was, but you were doing live mm -hmm. and then you had a web chat at the same time. This was maybe 15 years ago or something. So, uh, and I think that was an offspring from IRC. Yeah, so uh, w for me, um, I, when it came to, right when IRC came about, I was probably using ICQ. Do you remember yeah, ICQ? that was good. ICQ, yeah, that was a good one. ICQ was awesome. And what I loved about it is it was real time. So you would be typing words and like you would be typing and I literally would see each character as you typed it. And if you made a yeah. typo, I would see you backspace and, and retype. And it's like, what, once I, it's like, I can't imagine just waiting for somebody to finish typing something and I don't get to see what it was their stream of thought as they were typing. And yeah. so I believe it or not, I, I never did learn ICQ, or I'm sorry, um, internet IRC. Now I've, yeah, exactly. I've used IRC. I, I mean, cause you know, Twit, if you go to twit.live or whatever, Leo Laporte's podcast, they still use an IRC chat there. Oh, but, cool. it, but it's one of those things where it's like you log in, it's like, a, and I'm, it's like, I, I, I'm pretty sure that I've taught myself that I can do slash name equals Cliff Ravenscraft. That's a, and I don't even know if that's the right quote unquote string to change it but there's been an i mean that's the furthest i've ever done but i understand that irc irc had the, all sorts of functionality you could attach files and yeah. do peer-to-peer -peer all sorts of things back channel this and that but yeah that that's that is one internet technology that it just that one passed me by somehow yeah, and again, there was so many technologies and uh, I was using them and I remember using Napster and a lot of things to digest audio knowledge, uh, to sync things and build, building scripts to 
distributed because um, I wanted things portable. I want. I was. I've always had a smartphone ish. If you remember the Par, uh, Palm Pilot and all of those had MP3 players, um, but they didn't. They weren't really live connected. And then Microsoft came along with that tablet, pocket PC. They had something called Microsoft Mesh that actually could synchronize with Wi-Fi. So I've always been dabbling with having knowledge distributed so I could, you know, listen on the jog or learn on the go, basically. When I think about all of those technologies, I, I so I'm hearing you. What There are two things that I'm hearing from you, and tell me if I mirror this back and if I'm correct. One, you love to access information uh, and use the, the technology to gain information. And number two, yeah. you used it to game and connect with others through gaming. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. And for me and this has been the theme of my life, is I always was fascinated by technology simply for the ability to communicate with other human beings in whatever form. Yeah. Written initially, uh, but then when voice, it's like, just I just want to commute. I want to talk about things. I'd rather have a conversation with you and you talk to me about something rather than go read a book. Because back then, I, I had some limiting beliefs around reading and books and things of that nature. So I wasn't so much into the acquisition of knowledge as much as I, I'll do, I'll learn whatever I need to learn so that I can communicate and have conversations with others. Yeah. yeah I find that interesting. And I think we're the same there. I, th I, I'm so, and I'm, I'm a social creature and, uh, I play a lot of computer games. I still do. But what I usually say is I play Skype. I don't really play the game. I play the game with friends, real life friends. Um, and I play the game that they're playing because they invest more time in playing games than I do. So they move on. Uh, so I'm not really loyal to a specific title, more to the group I want to hang with. And the game becomes a vehicle to make that happen. And likewise, I think the knowledge learning, the hunger, also is about connecting to people because I want to learn so I can share and level up other people. That's why I figured out how to create platforms where knowledge could kind of be free. And let's not go into too deep d details about that. That's what do you call it? That's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> now I might perceive freedom differently. Yeah. So what is the work that you do today? How do, how do you generate income to provide for your family to, to you know, what, what do you do for a living, Rick? I coach uh, cyber leaders in harnessing their data better for better revenue and shorter cost of delay and better ethical decisions, long-term decisions, primarily circling around data and leadership. I find that a lot of computer nerds aren't the best at empathy and seeing the other side of the coin. So that's where I kind of help them. Okay, you don't need to change your decision, but you might want to change your tactic or how, or how you're communicating this change or something like that. Very much around empathy and also using data. As I said earlier, we're really living in a world of disinformation. A lot of big organizations have data they don't really trust 
because it's complicated. You have so many subsystems and so many different decisions along the way. So it's hard for a CEO to really understand why are my reports conflicting yeah, <laughs> and stuff like that. So I do a lot of coaching around that. And uh, I'm also doing a lot of consulting because I feel like I don't just want to be a theoretical coach, but I want to walk my own talk. So currently BMW has hired me as an interim manager or interim meaning two years right now, where I manage uh, 11 wonderful people for an, an IT department. So that's basically how I get income. One of the things that I have learned about the way that you do your work is you help people figure out, like, you've got all this data. How do I interpret it? And how yeah. can I help you come use this data to make more informed decisions? And there are a handful of people in my life that I call what I, what I would call is a data nerd. And I say that affectionately. Uh, and it's one of the things that I love about you. Uh, I actually still, it's actually, it, there's only, okay, get this. I, there are, there are, th well, first of all, did you know there are three type of people in this world? Three types of people. Those who are good at math and those who are not. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So first of all, uh, the, but there, but there are another. There, there are two types. You should of people. tell your audience that you were holding up your fingers while yes. you're doing that. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So uh, the other thing, there are two types of people. There are those who have desktops that just like are flooded with anything and everything. But I'm a, I'm a complete inbox zero guy. I'm also there is nothing that goes on my desktop. It's like that thing needs to be crystal clear. Do you know, Rick? that there is one icon on my desktop. It is an Excel file titled incomplete underscore stats underscore 2021 underscore 707 hyphen 07 dot XLSX. So there's one, it's actually a file on my desktop and it's the spreadsheet that has every member of the next level mastermind the, it's got a column for the date that they joined, and it's got a column for the date that they exited the group. And then there's a chart that shows a breakout of people uh, like in order showing the they're sorted by the length of days they were members in the Next Level Mastermind, which is an incredibly valuable piece of information to know and and stuff like that. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is something that I definitely want to go in and fill in these data blocks for all of the, for everybody who's ever been in. And when I do that, it's like just that visualization of that report, that report, that is actually going to help me learn things to optimize for my business. So for example, if I wanted to go in and and ask certain people, hey, what was it that first drew you into this? I would want to start with the people who were in the Next Level Mastermind for the longest period of time because it's those type of people I want to get into that psychographic for. Um, anyway, it's just like these are those things that if I didn't have a Rick Lindbergh in my life, I don't know that I would actually, I, I would have access to all of the data because I do have, I have the start date and last date. And matter of fact, I even have it in my own spreadsheets. But I've never actually gone in and said, okay, what's the spreadsheet code for 
X number of days in the group and then how do I create a chart and all this other stuff. So it's one of your superpowers that I'm so thankful for and it's actually on my list of things to do eventually to to actually fill in that report and see if I can't even make it a Google spreadsheet since I don't have Microsoft Excel. <laughs> I'm happy to help you. And I, I, I remember doing that for you. It took like 10 minutes in a live call if I remember right. And I think... That's what I enjoy doing. I'm curious. Okay, what are we unaware of here? Are we solving the asking the right questions? It's so easy. I think I remember we were talking about, and I said we probably shouldn't focus on these people. We should focus on this. There's a group here. We don't see it. Okay, this is the group. These are the people I recommend you focus on. Um, and I like that. I like visualizing data, but the important part is not seeing it. It's actually daring to do something with it. Yes. To go deep, okay, what's that about? What happened there? That's pure magic. And how can we recreate that for more people so they will get the same benefit? Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's one of the things that I have always appreciated about you. It's like, man, Rick's helping me see the importance of of actually taking this data that's available to me and and evaluating the data and and mining it for the gold that's in yeah, there exactly. there's so much nuggets if i mean you don't need to just go out and find people you here here's who you need to go find is like yeah. ah this is brilliant yeah, of course i you did this and it's like oh i'm gonna go find those people and i just went off to, to the races but man i it's like okay i and sometimes i'm a little bit slow on the intake of okay let okay now i recognize it's like okay i don't want to just do this every now and then i want to make this a system that is consistently being tracked i want to yeah. i want to evaluate results and see if, see if i'm actually seeing trend lines in the upward direction and i'm more interested in that stuff today than i ever have been and again, I just want to say, Rick, I don't know that I'd be as interested in that if it weren't for people like you, Mark Mason, Mike Stelzner, and a handful of other people in my life that have helped beat into my head the importance of data, actually evaluating data, and then making decisions data-based. And, and not a pun on the term, by the way. <laughs> No, and, and I think, again, I think I find myself in the situation between intuition and doing experiments that we have no ba basis for right now and then proving them with data afterwards. Yeah. Uh, people either want to go, let's just sell, sell and talk soft skills or let's just be, you know, computer-based. But I really try to dance between these two, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that, that's one. And of I enjoy it. It's one of the things that I really appreciate you about you because I've always been a like I just, let me just follow my heart. I don't yeah. care. I don't care what the data says. I know what it means. It's like, but but I just want to go do this. Yeah. And and sometimes that's good. Sometimes yeah. there there are costs associated with ignoring the data, and and sometimes it's like ah oh, you know what I think life would life could be remarkably better and l there might be less suffering. If I actually evaluated and saw the value of data from time to time. Uh, and again, I think the important thing, it might not be data, it's daring to let go. I've tried this long enough or um, I realized that this experiment didn't go as far as I wanted to do. Um, or as I tried to see it, 
the the drop of you mentioned gold earlier uh if i imagine that as um a color i can have that in a jar and if i'm tossing that into the ocean it's going to be quickly um not having a big impact it's just going to be swallowed by the ocean and no, no one will see it but if i can find my people the people who needs this i'm gonna transform the entire cup and sort of um Casey on the cast before this one, he talked about cl- clearing your mind, mind like water, and you're this. You, if you're having a jar full of mud and you're pouring in water into it, you don't see the water the first time. But if you have a habit of cleaning your mind and focusing your thoughts, eventually that mud will be see through, and eventually it's just going to be pure water in it. Uh, this is a different metaphor where. We can do experiments, but we're not, if we're not looking where we're doing them, it, it might be pure gold that we have in our hands that we can give to people. But if we're tossing them to people who don't get it or don't need it, we might evaluate the experiment the wrong way versus giving it to someone we actually resonate with who gets why it's needed, who are enrolled with the change you want to make. Um, I see again without data it's so easy we are tossing it into the the river or to the big lake where it's just I don't know do you say diluted when it's just mm-hmm. spread thin yeah it's diluted so and we say well that was a bad idea I should not do that but once we realize with the map that no I, uh, I was throwing it in the wrong direction there's nothing wrong with the thing or the idea itself I'm just not focusing on the right people for it yeah. Let me ask you the same question I asked Casey. What was your first job that you ever had? The first thing you did that you got paid money for, like more than one time? Like you got paid more than once? Um, I started in the small jobs quite, quite young. Probably the grocery store, being some sort of handyman and might also be that um, I've always been a volunteer in helping people, so I don't exactly remember exactly when I got my first paycheck. Uh, might also be in my aunt had a restaurant in an hotel, and I remember I was very young when I helped her with a lot of the physical labor, that like doing the heavy dishes, doing peeling potatoes and carrying heavy stuff because all her staff was female. So I was pr- trying to protect her back, trying to be the you know, knight in shiny armor for them. Uh, and I remember getting a lot of paid for that too. So I was quite young. I was still, I was the, the, young, the youngest of my friends to start doing a side job gotcha. beside, uh, beside schools, if that makes sense. So I heard- I don't remember which was the first of them. So I heard that you have an experience working inside of a grocery store. Yeah. And then doing physical labor inside of a restaurant for your aunt. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excellent. What other, did you do anything else other than lifting heavy stuff and doing heavy dishes and stuff like that in the restaurant? Did you ever do any cooking or serving or? No, yeah, I, I did serving. Uh, <laughs> I actually had m- multiple gigs in restaurants. And I remember when I turned a teenager, which was later, 
I remember Mandy telling me that yeah, I should stop looking at girls because I was breaking too much dishes when I was serving. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, ironically, now though, a bit at the same time, I was the most computer whiz people knew. So had I been smart, I would have started working with that earlier. Probably, you know, 10x is my income. But I didn't know better. I yeah. thought that was just a hobby. That was just to make game play better. So kind of looking back, I could have actually helped you do inventory and cost analysis yeah, and exactly, yeah. stuff like yeah, that. Exactly, I, yeah. I could have actually I, helped you improve your restaurant profits had I helped you set up some computer tracking. Yeah. Yeah, and I... Uh, I, me and my girlfriend, we moved to a house in my old neighborhood like two years ago. And uh, I used to work in the grocery store 100, 200 meters from where I live right now. And I remember helping their computer systems a lot back then. Not, not, not as, you know, a formal role or getting shot, but everything there, every time there was a hiccup, I was there to help. But again, taking that knowledge totally for granted and not seeing a value in that, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And in fact, there's a ton of people today, that's their greatest struggle, is that they undervalue something that they, that just seems to be so natural to them and it's something that they love so much. Uh, if, if more and more people could wake up to the opportunity of the fact that, man, you really could do something special in life doing what you love for a living. Yeah. And having more fun and having a, again, I was breaking dishes when I was trying to serve because I wasn't really focused versus put me in front of a computer and you'll get results. <laughs> so, so, so it's a very easy choice once you see it, but I didn't see it. Did you ever play any sports or were you ever, did you ever, have you ever played instruments, music? Are you musically gifted? No, I would say I'm musically ungifted. Um, again, I, I've always had knowledge in my ear way back in Napster and stuff like that. So I ra rarely listened to music. I was either reading a book or in quiet or uh, listening to something that leveled me up. So most people today are very, are, are shocked that I don't know, recognize celebrities, I don't recognize songs. I do enjoy music, but no, I'm very bad at stuff like that. Um, sports, no, I can't hit the ball to save my life, but i did a lot of martial arts, different sorts of martial arts, and I do a lot, did a lot of climbing. But I had a challenge with calling it physical exercise. So I kind of, whenever people were trying to tell me that I was doing physical exercise, I said, no, 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 let's not talk about that. <laughs> this is just fun. It's giving me muscles and uh, body coordination. But, um, and I, I did a lot of parkour. Again, I don't think that was a name. What is, what is parkour? I've heard, um, I've heard the term once or twice before. 
So I did a lot of climbing, you know, wall climbing indoors and mountain climbing outdoors with a rope and stuff like that. Parkour, it's kind of when you do it in a city. So you do it up walls, you do it uh, up buildings, you basically you run. In uh, in the movies, you run on top of uh, roofs and stuff like that. But I didn't really do that. It was more like... I was, I'm also very much into physical safety uh, to protect people and cyber safety to protect people. And I used to rem- shock people by, well, you just do like this and then you're in. So, so climbing I'm, at speed vertically, can you say that? Yeah. So, in, the, so in an urban. I remember, of course, I don't know if in Sweden you guys ever watched this, but the original Batman and Robin and they're they're climbing up the side of the building. I, I, yeah. For some reason, I'm seeing Rick yeah, yeah, basically kind of like that. climbing up the side of a, a city building in, yeah, in seeking Gotham. challenges. And again, I don't recommend people to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was a lure there when I was younger. So you talk about Napster, and am, am I hearing you correctly? Are you saying that the the MP3s that you were downloading off of Napster were audiobooks? Yeah. Mostly, and I remember going to the physical library into the blind section to to get access to books. And I and again, I'm a social kind of guy, so I got to know them because not everyone could. Re- you don't rent them. Do you lend them? Borrow, the borrow them. Borrow. Yeah. I, sorry, that's my Swedish. Um, so I could borrow them and listen to them. Which, once again, they were kind of serving another kind of need than I had. But I was so hungry to be able to learn while I was doing other things. When did you first discover podcasting? Um, It's interesting. Again, I think I kind of had the habits of learning and sharing audio files before podcasting was a thing. Um, I remember when iTunes came about and I kind of hated it. Uh, And at the time, again, with Deja News and other things, I already had channels where I could auto-subscribe to knowledge. So I felt, why why do I need to plug in a cable? Why do I need to sync with, (laughs) with iTunes? It's just a hassle. Um, so be, before 2000, something like that, the first, I did get an iPod before the iPhone that I loved, but again, I really hated that I had to go through iTunes to populate it. Um, when again, I already had beautiful setups on the Palm Pilot, MP3 player, the, um, Pocket PC, I could think, sync using this Microsoft Nash over the web. So for me, it felt like going back. But what I now realize is we needed iOS to streamline the experience because I was doing it the nerd way before, if that makes sense. I was understanding my scripts and my way of automating it to my people because I wasn't just doing this to serve myself. But it was way too complicated. Um, one of the first podcasts I listened to on the real 
as a podcast before was manager tools back in 05 i think they started again then i started slowly moving over to this new platform back then it wasn't really called the podcast too it was a newscast um webcast it was a lot of other things before it's finally settled on the name and i'm still subscribing or paying as a member for manager tools so I remember the name Manager Tools being around in the early days. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, and Security Now was also, uh, you, you know, Leo Laporte and uh, uh, Gib Mil- something Gibson. Doug. Uh, yeah, Gibson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I listened to him for years too. So I, they were among the first when I was really finally accepting. Okay, Apple has a good thing going on here. I know I remember first working with you in podcasting A to Z session number 18. Uh, you signed up for my 2000, it was in September 2014. Yeah, September 2014. And you took podcasting A to Z. And I think that's when you started relationship power and um, at work. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And that podcast still going today, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Thank you. And let me just take a look here because I, I just saw, I pulled it up here. Relationship power. Uh, Rick Lindbergh. There, nope. Uh, oh, it got moved up to the top. Hold on. There it is. No, you have so many podcasts now. Uh, so yeah. you have yeah. 387 podcast episodes. Yeah, and I actually, I think that's about half of them because I've also moved RSS feed and stuff like that. So. Ah. Um, your friend Joey helped me and we kind of had to let a few things go. I don't remember why. Gotcha. So it's Relationship Power at Work. That's the first podcast you ever created. But then you've had some other podcasts along the way. You've had the Analytic Gamer. You had the Elite Elite Pro Gamer podcast. Uh, you've got Cy Cyber. Is Cy Cyber still something going yeah, it is, but it's going slowly. <laughs> I'm I'm a good starter, but I'm a terrible finisher. But yeah, it's still it's still a very much a need. Again, in the cyberspace all of us are living in, we even if we don't see it, I th- I think the need is still there. Yeah, and uh, I'm not giving up on feeding that beast if that makes sense. But currently, I have other priorities. Well, we're right at one hour since we started recording, and I want to be respectful of your time. So if you want, we can wrap up here. If no, you want no. to continue talking a little bit. No, no. I love talking to you, and especially about stuff like this. So I'm, I'm all game. All right. Well, tell me how much longer, because I have a little timer here that's going to tell me how long we're going over. So tell me about how long, how much longer you want to go, because I could, I could keep talking. You know me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but no, I'm happy to say another hour. Another hour. All right. Let's yeah. do it. Okay. So, uh, we were talking about your podcasts. One of the things I just want to say, Rick, is it relates to the community voice. One of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to help people understand the truth behind what I think it was Kevin Kelly wrote back in 2008 about the 1,000 true fans. And one of the things that, that stood out to me is you're one of the early people who really helped me understand that I could probably do what I most wanted to do in this world, but I didn't believe it at the time. 
And what I mean by that is you took podcasting A to Z, which at the time was $2,000, and you took that in 2014, session number 18, and I, I've, of course, I may have embellished this story, okay? Yes. <laughs> so so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how I tell it today, and then we can find out if it's actually true. But the way that I sometimes tell this story is that all of a sudden... Uh, a couple of sessions go by, and I see a payment from Rick Lindbergh, and I'm like, he must have made a mistake. Rick, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to refund you. Uh, I have no idea why your credit card has been charged again, and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, Cliff, I, I'm signing up so that I can work with you again. I, yeah. I have all of the access to the tutorials and stuff like that, but if I could just have you as my coach for four more weeks, it's worth it to go through podcasting A to Z again. Now, I think I've embellished the story of the fact that I was no. shocked that sounds, a sounds like words I might have said. But anyway, uh, but you signed up for session 21, so 19, 20, 21, so three sessions later, and I was doing them every other month at the time, but you signed up for the August 2015 session. You came through a second time, and I do remember you saying, it's like, listen, you know, I just want to, I just want to have access to your coaching, and I want you to know, Rick, that had a profound impact on me. And it's one of, you are one of a handful of people, about five or so people that convinced me that I don't have to be the podcast answer man to make a living. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, it means the world to hear you say that. I get goosebumps. And I remember, I remember the doubt you had back then. And, um, and it's still true. I, I'm still here because I learned so much from you beyond the audio nerd. Do you audio fine? Do you call it say that? The, I, the technical aspects of podcasting is yeah. what I thought people were. Would I thought that's what attracted most people to me was my technical skill, talent, ability, my ability to teach you the technical things related to podcasting. And you were among a handful of people who absolutely convinced me. No, yes, you're good at that stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, you it are. is an incredible marketable skill, but it's not the greatest value that you bring to the table. And and it's not what I hear you want to do, which is perhaps more important. <laughs> that was the really important thing. It's like because I always talk about you know when I left my career insurance, it's like man, I wonder what life would be like if I could do this for a living instead. Yeah. And I've always said, it's not so that I could actually teach people how to podcast. It's so that I could entertain, educate, encourage, and inspire. Have communication with the world, with my voice and what I think, how I see things. I want to influence people. That's what I want to do. And I, so when I say, what would life be like if I could do this for a living? It's influence people with my thinking. Yeah. And yeah, and um, again, I'm so grateful that you took that leap, that you did that change, because look at yourself and your own development versus had you stayed in the technical lane. Can you say that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you would be living a different life now. I would definitely be living a different life. And that's one of the things I wanted to make sure that came out in this conversation. I want to say thank you for being one of those people and there are way more than five to 10 people, but you were ones that actually made that investment and says, listen, I'm going to show you 
with my money that I that I believe this. But it, you were one of those people who saw more in me than I was able to see in myself. And and I just want to say thank you for that on the record. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it means so much to me. And I remember you saying saying that in previous podcasts too. But but the beautiful thing is now you're doing that to other people or for other people. So uh, it's good. And also for the record, why I love working with you and uh, for sharing my my worldview, if it benefits anyone listening to this, is when it comes to all forms of learning and especially mentorships and coaching, it goes both ways. I turn to you to learn and level up. But with the right client, we choose who we work with. It goes both ways. And um, I embrace you. I love working with you because we are different. We have a lot of values together that we share. But I really encourage anyone listening to this to embrace your own blind spots by being around other people who are different. For example, I used to be unable to interrupt a fast flow speaker like you, Cliff. (laughs) And, And you helped me do that. You helped me work with that. Um, I struggle with being loud and meek and the imbalance within me. You've helped because you can take the space when you want to. I used to be very afraid to be public, to be seen, to be spotlighted. And you have a natural tendency to be okay there that I'm still envious of and I'm not near your level. But daring to go and work with people who have qualities and traits you don't is so important. And the list is long. You're an audio nerd and I'm kind of blind to audio. I'm still waiting until the software will autocorrect my band stuff. (laughs) So it's convenient and effective to listen to for the listener. You're a Mac lover and I'm a PC Windows kind of guy. You're great at claiming space for yourself. And I'm preferring to be creating remarkable space for other people and struggle with claiming space for myself. So I do want to recommend people to work with you, Cliff. But most importantly, dare to find people who are not exactly like you, but have things that you struggle with or that you're wanting to level up in. And again, we align on so many other things that are important the generous posture, the sharing and teaching what we know, elevating others. We have also, otherwise I wouldn't work with you for so long. Yeah. Well, I love all of that. And I I just, I, I think, I think back to when you started Relationship Power at Work and the very first episodes were, hi, I'm Rick. And, and I'm like, okay, Rick, you gotta talk louder. Yeah. Lift it up. That advice didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, um, but it's fun. You, I mean, you are, you're night and day different from when I first started working with you. It's just like, you, sh- I, I mean, in this conversation, you're, you're just as, I mean, you're just as animated and passionate and stuff like that as, as well. And it, it, it it's been cool to see that transformation as well. Yeah. Likewise. I, I, I love seeing your journey too. And, and I remember quite early, uh, and again, I'm so grateful for all the coaching that you're giving me over the years, and especially about this being vulnerable and daring to show up 
with a microphone uh, and on camera because you also helped me on YouTube and so many other things. But I remember, I think it was uh, John Lee Dumas inviting me to your fire and I, I was scared. I don't want to say the word, but I was very scared saying, I can't do that. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to, you know, do my own thing. And, um, and it, and now it's night and day different. I haven't changed, but the fear is not there anymore to show up. It's just about helping. If this helps, sure. If I can make space for it, sure. Uh, and uh, and I remember you helped me see that when John invited me back, maybe a year later, and I was less afraid, but I was still afraid. Will I be enough to be on this show? And now that was many years ago. And again, it's a journey. Be kind and generous to yourself. It takes time. Yeah. If it's important. Yeah. It, it's it's all a journey. Okay. So. Let me, I'm going to go through my list of questions because I, I have a bunch of questions here that I had thought might be fun to ask. Uh, so let me go in here. We already talked about that. Um, what types? Okay, got all of that. Oh, well, okay, I got one for you. What is your favorite... Or you can even list your top three if you want, but just one would suffice if you wanted. What's your top one, two, or three pieces of software or apps on your mobile phone that you really enjoy and that you rely on? Mm, good question. Uh, um, Outlook. If it's not on my calendar, it's not a priority. I think I, I weave out to other places trying to figure that out, but I always come back. <clears throat> then I, I do experiment a lot with software and apps and stuff like that. And note taking, you and I, we could make a cost purely on note taking, I think, uh, and all the experiments I'm doing with that. And currently taking a course on how to be better in Notion.so. Um, so let me so, pause Outlook, Yeah, that's my life. Outlook, awesome. Notion.so, that's the Evernote replacement that came out later. Uh, so Notion is kind of like Evernote, but it has the ability to push, publish notes straight to the web, and you could even create a website from Notion. How are you using Notion? What do you use mm -hmm. Notion for? Oh, I'm Once again, it's a quite new experiment. I'm trying to merge, so I have a lot of places that I take notes on. I'm trying to merge them into one. And um, I've already done, say, Dropbox notes, and then you share them, or Evernote, as you said, you can share links there too. So I'm trying to combine all of them in one place. Um, so that's what I'm using it for. And I try to embrace as much public drafts as possible. So I try to not leave things half done, but share them where they will help people half done. And then make a version two, version three, version four. And I find that Notion seems to be working quite good there. And it, it's also good because if I don't get to a version three, at least they, they get the benefit of version two. <laughs> Versus if I'm, say, I'm in a Word doc, and they don't see it until it's done. Yeah. 
So, so what I'm hearing is I like to publicly share my notes yeah. in, in a way that's easy, accessible to anyone out there. You know, the funny thing is, as you share that, I actually created a Kajabi page called Resources, and I think it's at cliffravenscraft.com slash resources. And just recently, I got a neat guy who says, listen, you have this keto resources page on your website, and I happen to have this book about where, you know, or this website that can help you find out how to eat keto at popular restaurants. Would you be interested in including this on your website? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot that I started that page. I never went back and added anything to it. Yeah, and I think that's also... The world we're living in right now, we have so many Autobots just scouring. So it, it looks like a very personal message. Someone, but it's just a bot writing. Yep. So yeah, you, should, you need to mind your attention. Oh, it's, it's I haven't easy. replied to him. Although I did <sighs> notice that it says, hey, I understand that you're probably busy. Did you see my message where I wrote? And then it's got the same <laughs> message again. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, I, I have learned my lesson. But the the yeah. fun part was is that it's like, oh yeah, I do have a page with keto resources, don't I? And and I rem I, I it's like a, it's like, oh, I remember creating that and I remember getting so excited about that and I shared it tons of times with lots of people for about two weeks. And yeah. then, then I went on to some other things. Yeah, and also sorry, it's not to uh, deflect your question then. So the first step would be uh, Outlook and then uh, Notion. And the third would be overcost.fm where uh, I think you helped me see that, but it's it's a long-going app for podcasting that I, it's an okay uh, podcasting app, but what I really, really like it, and again, I think I credit you to hinting that to me is that I can upload audio files that are not podcasts that are I just want to you know digest might yes. be a audio from a, a presentation where I, I'm happy with the other audio so I could just listen to it on the go so I am going to share an app with you uh, let me just I'm, I'm sending this to you via iMessage and it's called mm -hmm. and let me see if I, I'm gonna so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna click on the message that I just sent you and I'm gonna click on that so that it opens it up in the thing. So here's what you could search for if you wanna find this app. It's called MP3 yeah. Audiobook, all one word, player. So it's MP3 space audiobook space player. And it, the developer is, let me go down here and find the developer name so you can find out if you've got the right one. Uh, I did. It's uh, Oleg, Oleg Braylian. Oleg Braylian. So uh, anyway, I wanted to tell you about this. So this is a one-time purchase. Is, does that cost money? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I already had it. So I. Oh, <laughs> I you already have I, it. I can't see if it costs anything. So uh, anyway, this app is really cool. So one of the things you're talking about the fact that Overcast.fm you can pay for a premium subscription and you can upload files. And would you believe that I'm already at the, whether it's two terabytes or three terabytes, I've already maxed out what I did. And I found Lord of the Rings. Uh, there is a, like, it's not Rob Inglis, it's not official, it's completely bootleg of this guy who created his own audio narration with 
beautiful, beautiful, uh, like audio produced in the background and all this other stuff. And it, it it's like 35 hours worth of audio content. And so I created three different files. One is Lord of the Rings, one, one or Fellowship of the Ring, one's uh, return, um, the return, two towers, and then the return of the king. So it's three different files. But each of the files were like, there's no way it's going to fit there. So I had to go search for something else. And so I want you to know, MP3 audiobook player is a tool that you can use to do the same thing. And the only limit for file size is how much storage you have on device. So... Yeah, but but and 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 I and apparently I had this player, but what I like with the other one is I can sit on the computer and just dump it there, and then it's gonna be on my device when I need it. What what I I do not like this syncing stuff. So how do you get the file so, to the? Uh, yeah, so basically I I put all of my files in Dropbox. So my original MP3 file okay. is in Dropbox. And I open up the app, and so I'll even walk you through. So I click on open the app here, and then I click on my list of books. Uh, actually, hold on. It just... Oh, but but, but you, you said enough. So you have a folder on Dropbox, and yeah. you can access that on that. Okay, well, that's, that's great. Yeah, and there's, like that. you can add via Wi-Fi, cloud services. So you just choose the cloud services, and then it, and it pulls up the thing. It's like, okay, open up, and it opens up the files app, and I've got... Uh, Dropbox is actually associated with my files app. So I go to the folder and I click on the MP3 and it's like, boom, here you go. And you can yeah. upload manually your own artwork for it and and all that stuff. And it has the same benefit of the fact that when you click, like, let's just say it's a 30-hour audiobook or audio file. If you, you get 20, 20, three hours and 22 minutes into it and you stop and then you don't pick it up until two weeks later, it picks up right where you are. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, l- I think that's important that, especially with kids and stuff like that, that <laughs> you just want to be able to pause it and focus in the moment and then pick it up the next day. Yeah. So I like that. Thanks. That's a good tip. I didn't know because I think uh, um, I didn't start using it because I couldn't figure out in a convenient way to transport a file there. Yeah, I, I was having a hard time as well, and I did actually hook up my file and go and open up the what is now the equivalent of iTunes uh, and had to drop it in, and I'm like, oh, this is a terrible solution, except for the fact that it did put all three of those books on that app, which was, that was fine, but it would keep me from enjoying it. But then all of a sudden, I went to go add another book, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's exactly. already in Dropbox. Let me see if I can try this, and yeah, it works. Yeah, good. Thanks. I'll I'll try that out because I do like Dropbox. I use that a lot. Dropbox um, is so cool. Yeah, it is. It, I we could talk about apps f- for a long time. Uh, I I use Dropbox for everything and share it with so many people. Yeah. What would you like to ask me anything? You don't have to, uh, but I'm just asking. Yeah, I would love to. I heard you recently moved to Kajabi. I'd love to hear more of what you learned once you moved everything there. Well, so just for the record, I've been on Kajabi for many years as far as my website and business and payment processing and tutorials, video tutorials and courses. So that's been for years. But specifically, I have recently moved all of, I'm in the process of moving all of my podcasts to Kajabi. 
and I'm loving it. It's one of the things that I love about it is that for me, I no longer have any limits to the number of podcast episodes I can upload in a single month. So as a result of that, um, it, I have returned to my love of, of creating content because now it doesn't cost me money if I want to talk more. Uh, so, for example, you you and I, who knows how, I mean, we're already, of course, I've cut off the beginning of this and I'll, we'll record something. But as we're recording, I, I've got an hour and 21 minutes already. And, you know, of course, with my Lipson accounts, I, I could upload 1.5 gigabytes of data per month or something like that. I, but I had two plans because I was uploading up up to three gigabytes. And of course, I could actually upload more, but then I have to bring my stereo files to mono, which yeah. cuts the size in half, and I could actually compress it down even further. And I'm like, I'm an audiophile. I want to yeah. put out, I want to put stereo. And they're like, Cliff, you're a voice. Like, you're, you're a solo-hosted voice. I said, yeah, but at the end, I play Mindset, Answer Man, and it has actually produced in stereo. But Cliff, it's like three seconds of audio. Yes, but it's three seconds of stereo audio. Yeah. <laughs> it's silly, I know. But so... The funny part is, is that there was a time, Rick, when I used to produce seven to 15 podcast episodes a week, and I am now able to get back to producing that much content, and I would not be limited to 15 episodes a week anymore. Not that I was limited before. I would just had to buy another third Lipson account to, to be able to do more than 15 episodes a week, but... I've moved over, I think I'm, I've got about 20 shows that have been moved over so far. Uh, I've launched a few new shows. And l- by the way, launching the Lord of the Rings podcast, it took me, I, I think there's a total of two hours worth of content in the first two episodes. So it took me two hours to record it. Once I record, and I had already purchased the artwork years ago because I wanted to launch this podcast a long time ago. So two hours to record it. But I, once I had recorded the episodes from like taking those mp3 files and submitting it to every podcast directory 10 minutes that's a great flow so if so here's what i can tell you give me podcast artwork the name of the show the description of the show and the first episode those four things are all i need and i could actually have it submitted to all the podcast directories in 10 minutes yeah that's what kajabi is doing for me Yes. Yeah, and imagine what it's going to do for your the future you and those you're helping, and and again, the kids and stuff like that. I I, I love what the media pro- products are turning into, and let's not talk about synthet- synthetic media. That's a different thing, but it's two parts of the coin. But uh, yeah, I like that. So another question I'd love to ask you is, um, but both you and I think that. Our life is governed by questions, the ability to dare to ask questions. What's the question you have juggling in your head right now that you think might change so much? Whether or not you are you are you and I are real. Or are we a simulation? Is this world an illusion? Yeah. 
That's a great question. Ha- have you read uh, um, one of the podcasts I listen to is uh, Lex Friedman. Do you know him? You're the second person to mention this guy. So now I'm going to go look it up finally. So it's Lex, L-E-X. Yeah. And L-E-X and then Friedman. Yeah, I'll type it in. All right. I'll 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 wait until you type it in so that I can actually... If I can get my mouse in the right place, there it is. There, okay. Okay, so it's F-R-I-D-M-A-N. Yeah. So I'm doing, okay, so, so it's, the, it's the Lex Fridman podcast, and I'm hitting subscribe. And I, is this the one, did Casey mention this last week? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Right, well, he somebody, talks a lot about machine somebody, learning and stuff like that. And, and maybe a year ago, he interviewed... Uh, uh Elon Musk and and they talked about are we in a simulation and uh Elon said so the question to ask if you were to meet an AI is what's outside the simulation yeah so the, um Elon Musk was interviewed by Joe Rogan on his podcast and the topic of are we in a simulation came up. And so I've heard Elon Musk's take on it. Neil deGrasse Tyson has also talked about this at length in various different interviews and and stuff like that, whether or not we're in a simulation. There's a podcast channel that I am subscribed to, or I'm sorry, a YouTube channel called Pursuit of Wonder, which is an incredible YouTube channel. Uh, it is mind-bending stuff. It's like it just questions everything that we believe. Uh, but it's called the pursuit of wonder. So yeah, th- those are the kinds of questions. It's just like what is what is life? What's the meaning of life? Um, you know, if we were to quote unquote start replacing parts of our body, uh, at what point do we no longer exist as who we are as a person? And uh, there, there was a recent pursuit of wonder where a guy, you know, everybody seemed to be upgrading their, you know, their limbs to animatronics and stuff like that. And this guy put it off forever until finally one day uh, he just couldn't get gainful work anymore because everybody was outproducing him. So he finally had an injury and they actually put in, in, and so it upgrades. And then finally everybody's downloading their consciousness into a computer system that actually is plugged into their integrated cyber body. And, and it's like, and, and eventually it becomes to this place where it's like, okay, well, we're, yeah, we live forever. Okay, what does this mean? And the Pursuit of Wonder is a great YouTube channel that has created a, it, it, I've heard people who go down this route, some people have something called Dark Night of the Soul. Some people have come away with what they call existential crisis moments. Uh, I haven't I haven't dealt with those things, but I can tell you there there has been a lot of letting go of things that I used to hold firmly to as beliefs, and I have let those go. And that processing letting go of certain lifelong held beliefs that I've been conditioned from for so long, like I had associated, th- man, this is a part of my identity. I am this. I believe this. And then to let go of that, it's like, ooh, well, gosh, so much of my identity was that. Well, who am I now? And yeah, it, it, it's been a fun exploration. Yeah, and I think 
it's interesting that what you, for example, you've been on a wonderful fitness journey and uh, trying to persuade your former self how it was to run upstairs with your current self. Two different perceptions of reality. Yeah. Right? Of course it changes you. So going back to that, uh, that you're saying with everyone replacing their arm, of course it's going to change us. The tools we use does does change us. <clears throat> but, and um, you might enjoy Darknet Diaries. That's another podcast, i.e. Patreon, that um, talks a lot about the dark web and basically what you're unaware of controls you. And it's uh, it's interesting. What you're unaware of controls you. I love that statement. And that is... That is absolutely hands down the biggest theme that I've come across over the last five years of my life. What you don't know controls you. Yeah. And now we're back in data, right? And yeah. Metrics. <laughs> it really is data. I mean, it, it's, yeah, the, yeah, it's all, yeah. pro- and it goes back to what you and I were talking about, you know, in magazines, you know, the programming code that we, we had seen somewhere. And we start installing into our operating system of our subconscious yeah. mind. And sometimes we're, we're getting all sorts of lousy results in our life that aren't supposed to be there. And it's like somewhere along the line, we, we put some bad code in there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And also that you, you had the courage to believe when you started out for, again on your fitness journey, you couldn't know it's going to work, but something and um, again, you, I really believe in the quote, you become the company you keep. You had friends who, who believed for you to get you through that. And I think that's so important. Um, and if you don't have friends like that, you are unaware of that that's an option for you to to get fit. Uh, another podcast I page on is Movers Mindset. It talks a lot about... Um, parkour and but it, they also talk about the physical connection to mindset and moving and stuff like that so it's um, the physical body is so enmeshed with how we think and um, for example school kids need to move so they can sit still and focus and it's really affecting their ability to learn so much so I think again in the future when we can tap in to help what's going to happen if I don't need to become stronger because I have an exoskeleton who does that for me what's going to happen to my brain because I don't get the cardio through through my head if that makes sense yeah it's really interesting where the world is turning into talking about movement and mindset and, and memories and stuff like that so one of the things that I remember seeing a story on a long time ago is Alzheimer's patients that yeah. seem completely like absolutely they know not. It's, it's like they're like children, like blank slate. And then all of a sudden you put on like uh, in a nursing home, you put on some 1920s, you know, music that was popular in 1925 or something like that. And then all of a sudden they start singing the lyrics and stuff like that. And she and she's like, oh, and I remember Johnny and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, boom, she it's it's like it helped her pull out and put the needle on the record into the groove where that was actually stored information. Yeah, exactly. But it was that music, and but it was the music triggered a mem an emotional memory, and yeah. and of course emotional is energy in motion. Yeah. 
So yeah. that's something that I've learned a lot is about energy being in motion. And, and I have learned, uh, okay, I have retained more information while working out at the gym or riding my bike. I I go to the gym and I'll be on this what's called the Stairmaster. So it's it seems crazy, but for an hour, I'll sit there and climb steps but not really go anywhere. But I'm in motion. And right. I will tell you, everything I'm learning, because I'm in motion, it, it just gets stored so much more deeply. And also, just being driving somewhere or something like this, have you ever like had a song come on the radio, and then all of a sudden, you haven't heard that song in years, but as soon as the song comes on, it instantly triggers where you were at some point in your life when you last heard that song. And it's not just that, but I've I've actually had the same thing where I'm listening to a podcast and I'm driving somewhere and, and stuff like that and I stop listening to the podcast. But then all of a sudden it might be a day and a half later and I'm picking up that podcast and I use Pocket Cast for my podcast playing and it usually immediately goes back about 90 seconds and it replays that 90 seconds that you heard previously. And every single time it does it, I'm like, I might be, let's just say I'm, you know, doing my dishes after I've just had lunch. But as soon as I click play before I start doing the dishes, it's it replays that 90 seconds. And I remember exactly what spot on the road driving to the gym where I was when those words were spoken the last time I heard those exact words. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, we are so much more than we we are aware of, uh, and uh, yeah. Again, I don't really. I'm not really good with music, but I we you uh, associate so many things. You can hear it, and you go back. You can scent, smell something. Can you say that in English? Mm-hmm. And you can go back to a nostalgic memory, or you can hear a voice similar to someone else that you used to know, and yeah. We, we can really jump around and the mind is a beautiful thing, but I think we forget, and again, it goes back to data nerds like me, we want to be purely intellectual, but if we can embrace the body to help the mind, to help the heart, everything turns so much better. And I think uh, Ted talk about Amy Cuddy, again, 10, 15 years ago, about what comes first, your posture, or your emotion and you can really you can use your emotion to set your posture or you can use your posture to set your emotion it's really your choice yeah and and uh, when i started to learn that i was resisting it and i said it cannot be that simple but now i know better <laughs> oh yeah I, that's one of the first things that i learned about ha- from tony robbins He's like, listen, I'm going to show you how you can be in 100% of your control of your emotional state. Now, obviously, yeah. he's not talking about people who have a, you know, a, a severe, yeah, yeah, you know, course. chemical imbalance in the brain. But, but for a normal, healthy person, it's like you can. It, it's your physiology. It's your fo- focus in the language that you use. Boom, these things. And I and he and he showed us. I'm going to show you just how physiology alone can change how you feel emotionally. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And dude, right there on the spot. And ever since then, I've been doing this exercise with so many people. I was like, man, I can change how you feel in an instant. Yeah. <sighs> and now, you, and once you know you can, 
Uh, and I go, go back, you and I share a lot of uh, books. And a book, uh, the latest um, book you made me read, Hail, Bloody Hail Mary or something like that. Oh, the Hail Mary project or whatever? Yeah, in there, there was a scene where one of them, the, the lead character said, now I sort of got the glimpse that there's a, the panic is still here, but the panic is starting to diminish. So I focused on that and could break the panic cycle. And I think that was such a nugget of wisdom that once we see, we can change it. We might not be there yet, but it's, it's Yes, we can see there is an exit. We can make this better. Everything changes versus being just locked in. This is life. This is how I operate. This is whatever it is. Rick, have you ever heard me talk about moonwalking with Einstein? Mm, no, I don't remember. Sorry, right, here's, here's a book you might be interested in. I don't know. I haven't finished it, by the way. It's one, it's one of those many books that I get, and I'm like, oh, this is so incredible. And I'm probably about four or five hours into it, but it's already taught me something that I'm, I'm going to demonstrate to you. Uh, but it's, it's, So it's called Moonwalking with Einstein, and it is a guy who was a, like a reporter, a journalist, who wanted to do a story, and he decided to do a story, a journalistic story, on people who did global memory championship contests. These are the people who can memorize a deck of card in 20 seconds, yeah. uh, that, that kind of stuff. And so this whole book talks about this, the tools and the techniques that people use to memorize things. And he talks about something called the memory palace. And the memory palace is how you actually think about a physical place that you're completely intimately familiar with. You know every room of every place in the house. And he teaches this technique that what you do is you take a list of things you want to memorize. All right? And you want to memorize it in a very specific order even. Well, what you do is you take that item and in your mind's eye, you visualize it in that room of the house. And then, okay, now you turn left and go down the hallway. What's the next room in the house? Okay, well, the, what's the next item? Okay, mentally put a picture of that item in that room of the house. And you can do this all the way through your house, but it doesn't just have to be a house. It could be a whole neighborhood or a whole city or a whole this. It, it, it literally mind-blowing what you can memorize. I, stu I learned this probably two and a half years ago, and I wanted to see if I could uh, memorize uh, my wife called us, uh, my, I was telling my daughter, Megan, about this. And we were in the call, car, and my wife, Stephanie, she says, hey, can you stop by the store and get a couple of items? And I had Megan write it down, all right? So she wrote down the list of items, and I sit there, I said, okay, I'm going to memorize this list. And so I, I, I said, what's the first item? And I said, give me just a minute. What's the second item? Give me, okay, give me just a minute. And, and so now we went to the store and I said, okay, we're going to go get everything on the list. Now, Rick, how long ago did I say this was? Two and a half years ago. Check this out. Do you want to know what we got that day at the store for Stephanie? Yeah, I'd love to. We got whole, uh, flour for cooking, you know, uh, all-purpose flour, four plastic storage tubs, whole milk, 
Cheddar Jack Shredded Cheese, Monterey Jack, or um, I'm sorry, um, what do you call that? Uh, a queso cheese, tortilla chips, cinnamon, paper plates, olive oil, cinnamon toast crunch cereal, or no, raisin, wrong cereal, raisin nut brand cereal, and a venti iced tea chai latte gr- large from Starbucks. Now, Rick, that is the exact shopping list she gave me that day in the order in which she gave me that shopping list. And I just, re- no, you see me on Zoom. Did I? Did you see me looking at any notes? No, 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 no. But I, I saw you're using your physical body, though. I don't know if you were... So here, I'm aware of it. Here, here's what's so. Here's what happened. So when you pull into my driveway, we have a mailbox, and if you open up the mailbox, there's powdered uh, all-purpose flour. And so when you open it, there's a puff of white flour that kind of yeah. came out. My car is in the driveway, and it, the car is actually um, jacked up like a hillbilly, uh, and it's and it's got four storage tubs under each of the four tires. <laughs> Now you come around to the front porch right before you enter the door. There is a dairy cow on our front porch, whole milk. All right. When you open up the front door and you look over onto the right, there's this thing called a buffet. It's a it's a table, if you will. And that table is piled up with Monterey Jack cheese, shredded cheese, and it's all coming down to the thing. And then once you look down, it's like, oh my gosh, what is this? There is melted queso cheese leading all the way to the <laughs> steps at the end of the hallway. When you climb up the steps, you're literally going crunch, crunch, crunch as you walk on top of tortilla chips that are all over the steps. When you get up to the top of the steps, you you sneeze because there's a cloud of cinnamon in the air. You turn to the left of the steps and you look into the bathroom and like, what in the heck is there a, why is there a stack of paper plates on the toilet stacked all the way to the ceiling? Now you come out of the, you come out of the bathroom, you look to the left, that's Matthew's bedroom. Matthew's bedroom has, you know how they, you're very familiar with water-cooled computer systems. Yeah. Well, Matthew's decided to do a thing. He's got a five-gallon bucket of olive oil. And for some reason, he's cooling his computer with a a five-gallon bucket of olive oil. And then you come out of his room and inside of the closet is there's no normal things that would be in there. It's all raisin nut brand or uh, cinnamon or yeah, raisin nut brand or whatever it was, cereal. And then you go into the, uh, the next bedroom, which is Megan's bedroom. And from the top of her bed all the way up to the ceiling fan is the largest glass of iced tea, chai, venti latte that you can possibly imagine. And that will forever be in my memory. I will never forget that shopping list for the for as long as I live. Yeah, thanks for the story. <laughs> I, don't, I, I had a hard time not laughing, but uh, I, and I think that's the key. That uh, I I went to a presentation by a guy called Matthias. He's the sort of memory championship in Sweden, and he had a presentation for how to teach kids to remember. And he, he was saying in Sweden, we do it all wrong. We have the kids sit down in, in you know, very sitting still. Again, goes back to physical. Physical movement is good to remember things. But we have the kids sit still. 
they read books that are totally the same. Every page is the same except the letters. Um, so it's so boring and repetitive. What you just sh showed me was a very vivid story full of surprises and things that doesn't belong. And that makes us brain wake up and pay attention. What is that cow doing at my entrance? Uh, yeah, that's because the, the full milk. And versus just having, you know, words on the list. So, and um, I, again, I think we have an obligation to our younglings to teach them that move around, don't sit at the exact same place in the house to study, move. He said, once an hour, you know, go to the bed and sit there, put your feet up, lay a bit, change your physical posture or where you sit and the way you do things and and suddenly you're jolting your back your brain back to attention to oh i i better pay attention this is not the same thing all over again um and once we realize that we can use it instead of thinking no i'm so tired i need to you know remove all the distractions yeah fun stuff man Rick, you and I, we could talk for hours more, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I know that Stephanie and I are going to have some salmon for dinner tonight. And Sounds good. I'm going to go and do that. But I really appreciate you uh, so much. Yeah, and can, can I just uh, riff a bit on, on this? That I used to shy away from all that fun stuff, that extraordinary that you just were talking, playing with it, having fun with it, making it weird. And saying, no, I just need to bash it in. I just need to be smarter. If I only could remember, and that's the wrong way to do it. Instead, I'm also patroning in another Patreoning another podcast called The Inner Monster that's playing with the lore of monsters to teach leadership and self-relationship and awareness. And I love how he's doing it because he's really playing with it. With this sort of, again, talking to why I chose you as a ma uh, mentor, very opposite to how I thought I was, I was meant to lean, uh, learn leadership. I should just figure it out and let's, you know, I was ashamed until I did it good versus playing with it and embracing learning it. And if we can teach our kids to do that, I think we're really helping them remember and recall things so much better. Yeah. So what would you like, if somebody wanted to learn more about you, follow more about what you're doing, what's the best place for them to go and do that? Well, the only social media app I'm using is LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Um, we mentioned the relationship power at work. That's one of my shows. If, you, if you're curious about that, there's plenty of input, so don't go there. Just for my sake, um, I also have a free book called Attract Better Clients that you can get at ricklinberg.com if you really want to work on leveling up by finding better clients. Um, yeah, so there's, I dabbled some on YouTube. I've failed at a lot of podcasts that are still out there. So there's plenty of other places to find me on. Well, I always enjoy our conversations, Rick. I, it's an honor to do life with you. 
thank you so much for the time here today. And I have no doubt that we'll chat again very soon. We will. I always like talking to you. Take care. Thank you. Well, there you go. That was my conversation with Rick Lindbergh. And I got to tell you, one of my favorite things I've learned about life is life is all about relationships. The quality of your life can be determined by the expectations of your peer group. That's something that has been the mindset that goes into the Next Level Mastermind, which I started in November 2017. Casey Price is a part of the Next Level Mastermind. Rick Lindbergh is a member of the Next Level Mastermind. And you're going to hear some other members of the Next Level Mastermind here on the Community Voice moving forward. And I just want to invite you, if you own your own business and you understand what it's like to live life at the level of where you understand the risks that are involved in being self-employed, you've experienced some of the highest highs and significant wins beyond your wildest imagination, but you've also experienced some of the lowest lows and some of the unexpected things that tend to come along. And if you've ever felt like it's lonely at the top... Well, guess what? There is a place where you could go every week to be in relationship and have meaningful conversations with other people who understand what it's like to do life at your level. Getting feedback and advice from other people who are fully committed to bring their own level of education to the table, their expertise, their experience, their skills, talents, abilities, their resources, they are committed to seeing you succeed. If you are interested in a group like this, check out the Next Level Mastermind at nextlevelmastermind.info or just head over to cliffravenscraft.com, click the work with me page. And for those of you who might be listening to this, say, Cliff, I don't have a business yet, or I'm just getting started in my business, and I haven't had a proven track record of the highs, or, well, okay, I'm still, I've got the lows down, but if that's you, or if you want to start a business, or maybe you just want to have a coach who can help you see life from a different perspective in any other area of life, I also offer one-on-one coaching, which you can learn about over on my Work With Me page at cliffravenscraft.com as well. All right, so thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back with another true fan here in the Community Voice podcast very soon. Until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do in life to the next level. Oh, and by the way, if you're not already subscribed to it, check out the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. It's my main podcast. It's available in all of your favorite podcast directories. Just go and do a search for the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Mindset and to man.